0: To worship him and also for the series that we are all studying through the whole Council of God. Um, I'm sure both uh, the Sunday messages as well as the follow-up conversations that we are having, the discussions that we're having in the cell groups is really uh, helping all of us. And uh, uh, you know, I think it's not just uh, uh, the older folks, right? Uh, us folks, but also the children who are. Uh, enjoying the impact, uh, and I could see that in one of those uh, father-son conversations with uh, Anugre that I had yesterday. Uh, so he asked me, um, Dada, why do people drink fizzy drinks, you know, just Coke, Pepsi, why do people drink fizzy drinks, one of those profound questions, uh, you know, that, that come from that age. Uh, so I told him, and by the way, I took his permission to, uh, to speak about this, right? <laughs> so, uh, so I told him, um, I think, uh, Anugre, it's because people like it. He's like, no, Dada, I think it is because of sin. <laughs> so I, I'm not very sure, um, you know, what's, uh, <laughs> I, I do know that, uh, you know, there is a follow-up, like just the way we have our cell groups, Sunday School is also following that same series. Um, and I know that sometimes, uh, you know, teachers uh, can use different examples. I don't know if, it's, if that's where it's coming from. Of course, Anugrey also can get very creative. Um, but yeah, we, and the conversation continued uh, to you know, talk about wine and different types of things and what's sinful and what's not. So yeah, those are all uh, really nice, fun conversations. Um, but on the serious side, we really want to thank uh, you know, the Sunday school teachers for all the effort that they are putting uh, to take this kind of material and then to also make it relevant uh, for, the, for the children. So thank you to all of you. Um, so picking up from where we left last Sunday, let's see if this works for me. Okay, that wasn't me, but yeah, thank you. (laughs) So yeah, so picking up from where we left last Sunday, um, uh, Sujay took us through God's covenant with Abraham. And and God chooses Abraham and he promises him, and we saw that as a summary, uh, land blessing to uh, all nations, that he he and the seed would be a blessing to all nations, and he promises him a seed through whom all humanity is blessed. And uh, we learned that this seed, this offspring, this descendant is none other than Christ. And in fact, today, uh, just before the breaking of the bread, we were reminded from that very same passage in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13 to 16. Uh, What we also saw that all of these promises, this covenant to Abraham was being given in the context of his own sinfulness it wasn't because uh, you know he was being it wasn't as if he was he was being rewarded for uh, how good he was or how holy he was right so we saw that it is in in all of this we see god's grace it's all about god and all about all, all about his grace and then we move to the question uh, we ended with this whom do you love you know by the time that god had fulfilled these promises to Abraham. By the time that Abraham uh, had reached a point where he was able to see that God is actually fulfilling these promises of land, of of being a blessing to other nations and you know, a seed uh, uh, through him, Abraham had reached a point where these things did not matter to him anymore. You know, he reached a point where his love for God was so much more that these things did not matter to him anymore. And uh, if you remember, so they brought up that contrast when, uh, when the Lord asked uh, Abraham to take Isaac and to, uh, and to sacrifice him before when the Lord is addressing and he's telling him, uh, take your son, your only son Isaac, and the one that you love. But when Abraham does it and the Lord says that, I've seen your faith, and then the Lord drops that, uh, that description, the son that you love. He just says, your son, your only son, because by then uh, the Lord was able to see Uh, Abraham's love towards him. Perhaps even Abraham was able to realize by then. And when we were doing our Thursday, uh, you know, the cell group study, we saw in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, and Abhishek, if you could just help me with that, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 9 to 10, even the writer of Hebrews recognizes that by the time that Abraham had received, you know, the promised land and he had settled down in Canaan, that did not matter to him anymore, which is why, I mean, typically, when someone would receive this kind of a permanent place that God has promised him, they would settle in there. But Abraham was still, how was he living in that place? Uh, by
1: faith, he went to live in the land of the promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the
0: city that, was, that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He was living in tents in this land that God had promised him because he was looking forward to being with God forever, right? God mattered to him much more than the things that God had promised him here on this earth, right? So we are also left with that question. And I think the follow-up discussion that we had would have also helped us to think through, are there idols in our life which are taking the place of God? We then move on in the story, the story of Genesis moves ahead from Abraham to go on to Isaac, uh, who he gets through, uh, his wife Sarah, and then the twins who are born to Isaac, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob is actually a very important character in the Bible because uh, uh, the nation of Israel or the the name Israel comes from him. It's, It's the alternate name that God gave to Jacob in his faith journey when he reached a certain point. And then we see the 12 tribes of Israel coming through Jacob. But then, the Bible takes us, or Genesis, the book of Genesis goes towards this section, which is Joseph, right? Otherwise, we see that the tree of uh, um, uh, the, the tree of generations, which is traced from Jacob via Judah goes on towards David and eventually to Jesus. But we see some digressions here and there, and Joseph is one such digression in that uh, that chart as we see. And we'll see why it is so important as a part of what Abraham uh, was promised by God and what God was uh, fulfilling in his life, right? Uh, So so the story of redemption narrows down on certain people. Uh, What God is doing, with the, with the family of Abraham, it narrows down on certain people. And here, uh, the passage uh, that we are seeing today, uh, it narrows down on Joseph. In Genesis 37 to 50, it tells us the story of Joseph. And many of us have read this story before. Uh, and there are many interesting aspects to the story of Joseph, you know, uh, relating to his father Jacob, uh, his brothers, the Pharaoh, uh, and, and so many other people who are part of that story. But none of these people, not even uh, Joseph, is the central character of this story. The central character of this entire story, as we will see, is God. God is the main character of the story. And let's just go through some highlights of this story together. Joseph was his father, Jacob's favorite. Jacob is actually not a good example of a father. He played favorites. Uh, In fact, he's not even a good example of a husband. Uh, although, uh, you know, some might find it very romantic, you know, how he pursued uh, Rachel, but uh, if we just read through the rest of the story, we know how you know, how that family ends up, uh, you know, uh, quite a dysfunctional family. But um, here, Joseph, who was his favorite, Jacob um, is not subtle about that favoritism. He is very overt about it and he uh, shows that favoritism in a way that all the brothers know that, you know, this is the one. And he give, gives him a, a multicolored coat to show that, you know, he is uh, he's my favorite son, uh, son. And that led to Joseph being hated by his 11 uh, brothers. And that hatred. It eventually led them to plot to kill Joseph but at the last minute they change their minds right so the hatred reaches a level where they are willing to put their own brother to death but at the last minute one of the brothers you know he influences them to change their minds but they strip him down and they throw him into a dry well their very own brother and then they later on sell Joseph as a slave and he ends up in Egypt a slave to the Egyptian captain of the guard, a man called Potiphar. But look at what God is doing while Joseph seems to have become a victim to his brother's sin, to his brother's hatred. Let's look at what God is doing. Uh, Genesis 39 verse two through six.
1: The Lord was with uh, Joseph and he became a successful man. He was in the house of his Egyptian masters. His master, his master saw that his masters saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord caused him caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and and all, over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was all that he had in that. In, in house and field so he left all that he had in Joseph's charge and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food he
0: ate so even in the middle of uh, all that the brothers are doing the Lord we see is doing his thing the Lord is fulfilling his purposes the Lord was with Joseph the Lord made him to prosper right uh, the Lord uh, let him to live in the house of his master not as a slave, you know, toiling outside, but to live in the protection and the shelter of the house. And the Lord gave him says in everything that Joseph did. And we see this as a repeating theme. Uh, The Lord, uh, Joseph found favor, the Lord gave him favor in his master Potiphar's eyes. And eventually he was given charge of his master's household and of all that he owned. So in the midst of what seemed to be a downward journey in Joseph's life and a really bad one at that we see what God is doing God is the central character in the story and we see God beginning to work here even in the first incident that we see God being sovereign over all situations God still accomplishing his purposes God still fulfilling whatever he had promised to Adam uh, to Abraham and what he had promised to Joseph through the dream as well God is fulfilling all of that Joseph uh, had no Jacob. Uh, Joseph had no clue that his brothers were plotting to kill him, but God knew, and God averted it. God deflected it to a lesser pain. You know, instead of death, uh, what has happened to Joseph is now he is um, uh, he is there as a slave. Uh, Joseph would have only seen the pain of being stripped by his brothers, being thrown into a well. Uh, being sold off while he would have been, you know, crying for help and asking for mercy from his very own brothers. And he would have seen the, you know, bloodthirsty uh, look in their faces and the hatred in their faces. And that's what Joseph would have felt, that what is happening. But uh, what is God doing in the middle of something that, you know, is so extreme that Joseph in a very young age is going through? God is averting a bigger evil so that he can fulfill His purposes God was sovereign in complete control even in the midst of the sin of Joseph's brothers and uh, uh, things go well for Joseph in Potiphar's house and he lives happily but it's not forever yeah because we see that in Joseph's um, uh, in Potiphar's house Potiphar's wife becomes unfaithful to her husband and she pursues Joseph and Joseph says in response to uh, what Potiphar's wife was trying to do, Joseph says to her, how can I sin against God? You see, the, um, the writer Moses, he, he does not give too much of commentary about Joseph's character. But we see that come through. We, we see his relationship with God, his understanding of God come through in his responses to all of these situations. How can I sin? Not just against you, but how can I sin against God? Joseph keeps rejecting her advances and eventually he runs to save himself from the temptation and possible sin that he could have ended up in, he saves himself by running. And we would expect that now he would be rewarded for his purity. Now he'll be recognized for his holiness. But where does does he end? Because in response to his purity, Potiphar's wife actually ends up lying and has Joseph thrown in jail. And now we can imagine how Joseph would be feeling. You know, he would be almost uh, uh, perhaps, you know, crying out and saying that, God, is it not enough that my brothers did something like this to me and sold me into slavery? Is it not enough that I'm separated from my, uh, from my father and from my family uh, and from the protection of that place that I was enjoying? And a lot of times the way that we would feel that, Lord, I've been doing things right, you know, I did not cheat in that exam. I stood for what is right in my office. I've been serving you in the church then. Why this with me? Why is this happening to me? And why now? What is God's response? We don't know if Joseph said all of those things uh, or, or he, if he felt like that, but we do know what God did in that situation. In a situation where Joseph was caught uh, as a consequence of his purity to someone else's sin, Joseph gets caught in this really bad situation, but see what the Lord does. Uh, Chapter 39, verse 21 to 23. What does the Lord do?
1: Then showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. We
0: see that again in the prison, the Lord was with him. The Lord showed him kindness. The Lord granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. He uh, Eventually, the Lord gave him an opportunity to become the uh, in charge of the entire prison and he gave him success even there in the prison in whatever Uh, Joseph was doing. In the midst of the sin of Potiphar's wife and the dire consequences that Joseph had to face because he stood for God and he stood for holiness and purity, uh, God is telling Joseph, I am still in control. I am still sovereign. I will accomplish my purposes. I will fulfill my promises to you and the promises that I've made to your forefathers. So that's where uh, many years go by. We don't know exactly how many, but we do know that They were multiple years. And uh, Joseph actually gets a chance to come out of the the prison because of two pharaoh's officials who are thrown in jail, the king's cupbearer and the king's baker. And both of these, uh, the cupbearer and the baker, they have a dream in the same night, uh, two separate dreams in the same night, and they are dejected because they can't find anyone who can interpret the dream for them and in genesis 40 verse 8 we see uh, joseph saying something to them chapter 40 verse 8
1: they said to him we we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them and joseph said to them do not in, do not interpretations belong to god please tell them please tell them to me
0: so from a human standpoint um, you know, it's um, Joseph is at a place where um, he has, we would feel he has a right to be upset with God and upset with the circumstances and where God has kept him, right? But we see again Joseph's attitude in the way he responds to this particular situation. He does not want to get glory for himself, right? He does not want to. Get the credit for himself because he knows that interpretations belong to. He wants to give all glory to God, even in this situation. He's saying it's not me; it's God who interprets dreams, and I will tell you. So he, does, so so they do. They tell him uh, his their dreams, and Joseph interprets uh, their dreams for them, and his interpretations come true. The baker is executed, and the cupbearer is eventually returned to Pharaoh's service. And when he leaves. Uh, Joseph asks him for just one favor. Joseph says that, uh, look, I am here not because of my own fault, not because of my own mistakes. Could you just remember me in front of the Pharaoh when you go there? Because Joseph says that, I know that these things will happen. I know, I trust uh, the God who has told me the interpretation, and I know these things will happen. When you go in front of the Pharaoh, can you remember me there? And in deep felt appreciation, the cupbearer gets out of jail and immediately forgets about Joseph. I don't even know how that can happen, right? And for two years, um, the cupbearer doesn't mention about Joseph in front of the pharaoh. Two years, the cupbearer would have been going continuously in front of the pharaoh. I'm sure every time that he would go in front of the pharaoh, he would be reminded of, you know, what the pharaoh had done to him and and the entire prison, you know, and the time that he would have spent there and about Joseph who had helped him to step out of that place. But uh, the cupbearer doesn't. Uh, mention about him. We know that even in the midst of uh, the cupbearer's ingratitude and his forgetfulness, uh, the Lord is still working because God hasn't forgotten. God hasn't forgotten. God in fact uh, doesn't need, he shows very clearly, he doesn't need to depend on human intervention to fulfill his purposes. He's actually able to influence the situation very differently by getting Pharaoh to see a dream and then Joseph coming there Uh, And God sets up things in a way to fulfill his promises and to give Joseph much beyond what Joseph had asked the cupbearer, which is to be set free. Uh, The Lord does things in a way which is much beyond. So Pharaoh has a couple of dreams in Genesis 41. um, And none of his officials or wise men are able to interpret those dreams. And that's when the cupbearer goes and tells Pharaoh that, I forgot, there is this young Hebrew boy in jail, and he can interpret dreams for you. So Joseph is brought uh, from the dungeon, from the jail, and he is brought before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh tells him, I hear you can interpret dreams. And uh, And we see Joseph's response to Pharaoh in chapter 41, verse 15 and 16. Let's just read that. Chapter 41, verse 15 and 16.
1: And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer.
0: What an opportunity for him to actually take all the credit, right? But Joseph says, it is not in me. You know, it's God who interpret dreams and he will give Pharaoh the answer that he desires. Two years of being forgotten, of his hopes being dashed, of just wondering what is really Happening with me, what is happening in my life, of being wrongly accused because of his stand. Two years of perhaps just waiting for God to intervene and to do something. And it's a long period. But it hasn't changed Joseph's understanding of who is in control. It hasn't changed Joseph's understanding and relationship with God. Um, and Joseph is very clear in his mind. Who is still in charge? He knows that the power to interpret comes from God. So Joseph, so um, Pharaoh tells him the, the two dreams that he has, and Joseph uh, explains the meaning, the interpretation to Pharaoh. In fact, in verse 25, he says, God has revealed this to Pharaoh. So he goes on to re emphasize that, you know, it is not me again, it's God who is telling you the meaning. And he tells the meaning of the two dreams, which is that there will be seven years of plenty in Egypt and across, um, you know, all the other areas. And they will be followed by seven years of horrible famine and then again in verse 32 uh, uh, let's just read Joseph is reaffirming God's presence and God's sovereignty Verse 32
1: and the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means the thing is and means that the thing is fixed by
0: God and God will shortly bring it about the thing is fixed by God it's firmly decided by God God will bring it about you know Joseph is clear that uh, who is in charge not only over my life but over everything that is happening around you know over the nations who is in charge over the climate who is in charge over uh, over the harvest and and whether the harvest will happen or not happen he is very clear that it is God these things have been decided by God Joseph is saying and God will uh, accomplish it God will do it soon there is no shadow of doubt in his mind that god is in charge of the universe that he is sovereign not only does joseph interpret the dream he also gives the pharaoh advice about how to handle this particular situation and uh, uh, to which you know after uh, the pharaoh hears joseph's uh, 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 advice the pharaoh responds like this and and now we hear about joseph from pharaoh's perspective uh, from verse 37 to verse 44 This proposal pleased
1: Pharaoh and all his servants, and Pharaoh said to his servant, can we find a man like this in whom whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot and they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus, thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt.
0: Um, Joseph's life, you know, has just taken a complete turnaround. Uh, In spite of the cupbearer's forgetfulness and ingratitude towards Joseph, God brings Joseph before the Pharaoh, puts him in charge of the whole land of Egypt, second only to the Pharaoh himself and all people, including Potiphar right now have to submit to Joseph's uh, Joseph's orders and he's given royal clothing royal authority right that's the kind of turnaround that God brings about in in Joseph's life Um, and and we see so clearly that whether it was when Joseph was thrown into the well whether it was when he landed up in Potiphar's house or at the prison that God is continuing to do his work god is continuing to be with joseph and accomplishing his purposes uh, and giving his blessings to the ones that he has chosen Uh, god will continue to keep his promises in his way and in his time Uh, and then the story of joseph moves towards culmination where uh, joseph's interpretations they come true there are seven years of harvest during which uh, joseph gathers enough uh, very wisely so that not just Egypt but the rest of the countries around can also be uh, sustained and supported uh, in the following years of famine that happens and uh, the famine strikes not just Egypt but also Canaan where his family uh, which is his father Jacob and unknown to Joseph all of those people are still living there and it's quite possible that Joseph would have been taken in, in, in such a young uh, age that now he doesn't even know what's going on there but God brings it all together into culmination. Joseph's brothers, they come to Egypt uh, to purchase grain. And what a moment it would have been when Joseph would have recognized that the people who are standing in front of me, bowing before me and asking for help are actually my very own brothers who had thrown me and who were uh, ready to kill me. Uh, but they don't recognize Joseph. It's, it's interesting. Let's read that part, uh, chapter 45, verse 3 to 8. Uh, Joseph's brothers, they assume that uh, Joseph is dead by now. Um, and then Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. Genesis 45, verse 3 to 8.
1: And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother Joseph whom you sold into Egypt and now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you saw me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land for these two years and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh And and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land
0: of Egypt Joseph has an opportunity for revenge now but just see just look at Joseph's response you know what an amazing statement about God's sovereignty all through Joseph recognizes that he says that it's not you who sent me here but God sent me ahead of you right after in, in spite of all the things that his brothers has done, had done uh, to Joseph. This is what, this is Joseph's perspective. All through this is what, I mean, it's not just an off the cuff, uh, you know, nice thing that he's saying. This is what he truly believes. That's why, you know, when he's faced in that situation instantly, this is what he's saying. That it's, it's not what you have done, but God actually sent me here. And he also knows and he's saying that God is fulfilling his promise to our forefathers. He will not wipe us away. He is preserving a remnant here on this earth and he will save lives towards a great deliverance you see how God is fulfilling his promise to Abraham not just about continuing Abraham's uh, uh, descendants but also the pro- in, in the promise when God had spoken to him where he said that for 400 years your people would you know turn away from me and they will live in slavery and this is how, you know, the, that part of the story and that part uh, of, of Israel's um, journey into Egypt and into slavery, it, it uh, turns around. What an amazing way, way in which God is just bringing about all of these things, using uh, human sin and uh, circumstances to actually fulfill his promises and uh, to fulfill his purposes for his people. So eventually all of Jacob's family which is 70 people in all, they are brought down to Egypt, and they settle there. And God, through Joseph, he and using even Pharaoh, he is faithful, we see, to the promises that he made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob to preserve them and to turn them into a great nation and to bless them. Um, and then, uh, towards the end of Jacob's life, right? Now Jacob is back with his son, and towards the end of Jacob's life, Jacob is on his deathbed and he is uh, blessing his 12 sons. And it's interesting that in, you know, as he blesses each of his sons, uh, to, and, and for some he actually curses, he doesn't give a blessing. But when he reaches uh, Joseph, uh, let's hear what he says, because even there, uh, Jacob declares about his understanding of God's work in Joseph's life. In chapter 49, verse 23 and 24, this is what Jacob says about Joseph.
1: The archers bitterly attacked him and shot at him and harassed him severely. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hand of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel.
0: So Jacob is acknowledging that there was sin and there was turmoil. And, 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 you know, there were people who and there were circumstances who really went against Joseph. Jacob is acknowledging and declaring the sin uh, and, and the effects and the consequences of that sin that Jacob had to go through, and the effects that uh, Jacob had—sorry, uh, Joseph had to uh, had to bear in his life. But then he goes on to say that and speak about God's sovereignty. That it's not because of Joseph and how how smart he was that his arms remained steady, but it was because of the hand of the mighty one. It was because of God. And we see in this statement, you know, uh, God's sovereignty. Come in the midst of or or cover up human sin in a way that God still is able to fulfill whatever God has purposed and whatever God is trying to do. It is God who is in control of your life, is what Jacob is trying to tell Joseph. It is it is God who is working in the midst of sin and your circumstances. Uh, we also see that after Jacob dies, uh, Joseph's brothers become very nervous that now definitely. Uh, Joseph will take revenge against us and again they you know the guilt is continuing to work in their hearts Uh, and they again cook up and and they say that you know we'll go and you know we'll tell a lie to Joseph that this is what dad said that you should take care of us and things like that because they are still so uh, scared and and that guilt is eating up I think there's a there's a parallel thread you know of learning that we can have about uh, about uh, Um, unrepentant sin and and the continuous guilt that is eating away at them but see what Joseph responds and and in that statement and I think this is perhaps uh, the key verse to Joseph's uh, story we see Joseph uh, saying something uh, Genesis 50 verse 20 as for you you meant evil against me as for you you meant evil against me Joseph is not um, covering up their sin Joseph is saying, yes, what you did uh, was wrong, uh, and, and what you intended to do for me, or against me, was evil, but... But God meant it for good. But to God meant it for good. Yeah, please, go on.
1: To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they
0: are today. So even in the midst of all of this injustice and the pain and the hurt, Joseph still believes that God is sovereign, Right? And um, uh, sometime before, you know, we had seen when he was speaking to Pharaoh, you know, that also is another aspect that we see about Joseph's view about God, that he knows that the Lord is the one who decides things and the Lord is the one who will make it to happen. God is the one who is in control and God is the one who fulfills his purposes. So in summary, uh, through the story and through the life of Jesus, We see some aspects about God and about God's character. Firstly, we see that God is faithful. God is faithful because He keeps His promises. Um, And we see that uh, repeatedly. It's saying that the Lord was with Joseph, Uh, in spite of the circumstance that Joseph was in, in the in the worst of situations. The Lord was with Joseph and he fulfilled the promises that he had made to Abraham through Joseph and also the promises that he had made to Joseph uh, through the vision that he had seen. The Lord continues to be faithful to him. We also see that the Lord is sovereign. He is in full control and he can be fully trusted. He is an all powerful king over all his creation. He can do whatever he pleases. uh, As the Psalmist says in Psalm 115, And verse 3 our God is in heaven he does whatever pleases him Psalm 115 and verse 3 even if it means working in the midst of human sin God will fulfill his purposes God is also omnipotent which means that he is all-powerful God can uh, do whatever uh, you know he has set in his heart Uh, he can uh, he uh, a king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord He turns it wherever he wills. Proverbs 21 and verse 1. And we see that, you know, how he turns around Pharaoh's heart uh, just the way that God wanted him to. Uh, And we see Joseph constantly giving credit to God, that God is the all-powerful, the omnipotent one. Because God is using uh, all situations and people and circumstances to accomplish his plans. Uh, But God is also good, we see. See, if if there was somebody who was all-powerful but was evil, that would be disastrous. We see that God is sovereign, He is all-powerful, He is omnipotent, and He is good. That's, that's one very important character of God that we see uh, as revealed in the Bible. Uh, in Job chapter 34, verse 10, uh, Job's friend Elihu says like this in response to some things that Job says about God and about his situation Elihu says, says says like this far be it from God that he should do wickedness and from the Almighty that he should do wrong for according to the work of a man God will repay him and according to a man's ways God will make it befall him of a truth God will not God will not do wickedly and the Almighty will not pervert justice uh, God is good. There is no evil in him. God cannot do evil, but he will use the circumstances. He will use uh, the consequences of man's evil to fulfill his purposes. Um, James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift comes from above. The father of heavenly lies." we sing, he is a good, good father and he is doing all things for our good. What a declaration. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for my good. Uh, But, you know, um, it's important for us to also just remind ourselves, what is this good? In Romans 8, verse 28 and 29, you know, it speaks about that God is working all things for our good. But it goes on in verse 29. And we, we've been reminded many times that we shouldn't uh, just take verse 28. You know, let's also read verse 20 and understand what is the definition of the good that God is doing. Abhishek, if you can just read that, please. Romans 8, 28 and verse 29.
1: Uh, uh, age 28 and 29 for we know that for those who love God all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many
0: brothers so God is so sovereign that he has promised us no matter what happens you know all things he will work together for our good and that good is that we should be transformed, conformed into the image of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, right? His his good is not um, removing pain. His his good is not that we name it and we claim it. His good is not um, that uh, we be uh, successful and and we be prosperous in the eyes of the world, right? Uh, His good, His definition of good is that we be conformed into the image of his son and that someday when we see him face to face, as it says in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, uh, we will be glorified because we will be like him. What a glorious promise and what an end to which God is taking us. So in summary, we see that uh, God is sovereign in the midst of human sin. That's, that's the key message out of Joseph's life. There are many other things that we can learn, but I think the biggest and most important theme is that in the midst of human sin, God is still sovereign. You know, when there is hurt, when there is pain, whether it's in Joseph's life uh, or our own, there is a human tendency to think that uh, God has forgotten. You know, that that, uh, this injustice, this pain that we are going through is because God is somehow not in control over the situation. But not only was God in control over Joseph's situations, Uh, And Joseph was in a much worse situation than we have or perhaps ever will be. But God is in fact bringing about, not only was he in control, but he's bringing about a great blessing through those various, uh, through those very situations. In the midst of the hurt and the injustice, God is bringing about blessings. And many times God keeps us from harm. Um, and, And a lot of times, you know, from harm that we don't even know of. There's a song by Amy Grant, it's called Angels Watching Over Me. It says like this, God only knows the times my life was threatened just today. A reckless car ran out of gas before it ran my way. Near misses all around me, accidents unknown. Though I never see with human eyes the hands that lead me home, but I know they're all around me, all day and through the night. When the enemy is closing in, I know sometimes they fight. To keep my fight from falling, I'll never turn away. If you're asking what's protecting me, then you're gonna hear me say, God's, God is angels watching over me. Every move I make, angels watching over me. There's so many things that only heaven, uh, in heaven we'll get to know, and perhaps it'll take eternity, uh, you know, for us to know how God has protected us from unknown dangers. Uh, and perhaps diverted much bigger dangers to smaller evils in our life right it will be so wonderful to hear about the accidents that he has prevented the deaths that he delayed the job situations god protected us from uh, the list would be endless but not only does he prevent us from hurt even you know without our knowledge uh, most of the times but he also works in the midst of human hurt and human sin just like he did with joseph and when he does that, God is still sovereign. He's so sovereign and he's so omnipotent and he's so faithful and he's so good that his plans for us cannot be thwarted by our circumstances, cannot be thwarted by other people uh, and, and what they do and, and you know their sin. Uh, it cannot be thwarted by human sin. So I think it leaves us with a question. If this is what we know about God, through the life of Joseph then whom do we trust we ended uh, last Sunday with this question whom do we love I think it's important now for us to ask this question in the light of all that we have understood about God through the life of Joseph whom do we truly trust when it comes to times of uh, appraisals when it comes to times of sickness financial troubles strain in relationships uh, doubts about ministry, or even smaller things which happen when we are traveling on the road. Uh, when we land in a mess of our own making, or we are a victim of, uh, of a mess which is created because of some, someone else or because of circumstances, who do we trust? Some may trust in horses, some may trust in chariots, which is some may trust in resources. Some may trust in kings, which is trusting in contacts and, and you know in, in people who you know. Uh, some may trust and lean on their own understanding. I think it's important for us to think that you know, as we as we come together on a Sunday and we sing praises to God and we speak about His glory and majesty, and and we use um, uh, you know we we use words to uh, to speak about uh, His power and we thank God for His awesome work of salvation through the ages and we and we exhort each other about God's uh, uh, and the Lord's soon coming glorious return. It's important for us to think that do we do this all on a Sunday where we speak about uh, how big our God is and then live from Monday through Saturday as if he were powerless to act in the small uh, daily areas of our lives. Um, Is the God that we worship uh, also the God that we trust during the rest of the week? Have we truly understood who we are following? Have we truly understood his sovereignty over every single situation in our lives, I think we have much to think about. We have much to discuss, and and may the Lord help us uh, during the week as we uh, discuss these things in our cell group to take a decision that we will truly trust Him. Whom do we trust? May the Lord help us to trust uh, only Him. Shall we just bow down our heads in prayer? Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to thank you, Lord, for Lord the lives of your people, Lord, that you have recorded in your word. want well, to thank you, Lord, that you reveal yourself, Lord, through their situations, through their circumstances, O oh Lord, and we are so thankful, O oh Lord, for reminding us once again about your sovereignty, Lord, that you are in control over every single situation, just the way, Lord, that you were during Joseph's time. Lord, whether it is, uh, uh, Lord, whether it is uh, people's sin, Lord and and the circumstances that uh, Joseph had to face as a result of that, Lord whether it's uh, uh, Lord, whether it's the climate, Lord uh, uh, Lord and uh, harvest and and famines, uh, Lord uh, man's forgetfulness, uh, Lord in the midst of it all, Lord we can just see, Lord, how much in control you were because you were leading things towards, fulfilling your plans and purposes in Joseph's life, O Lord. And Lord, we just want to remind ourselves and we pray, O Lord, that you would help us, Lord, that in every situation in our lives, Lord, in the small things and the big, that we would not forget that you are in control, Lord, and that you will do things, Lord, for our good, Lord, which is to turn us into the image of your Son. Lord, what a glorious promise that is. Help us to live in the light of these words. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.